according to their GM, who is um, Jesus Christ, was the Cavs GM. Now I'm Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus Christ, was Christ the GM. general manager. Welcome back, y'all. <laughs> we can never get that part right. We're gonna get there eventually. Eventually, we'll get to a point where we're perfect at this part. Um, welcome back, guys. I don't, I don't, I don't this wanna, is. Uh, I never want to be perfect at that. Just because, like, it's kind of a little bit of our charm. I think we're not perfect. That's fair. I don't disagree with you. I think, yeah, we are charming. Uh, some of us are charming. Yeah, I'd say overall, two out of three. Um, yeah, we're pretty charming. Welcome back, y'all. This is episode one twenty four of NBA. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It's up to the listeners to decide who is who are the two most charming people on this podcast and who. I disagree. Nikki's incredibly handsome. I don't think I don't think you are giving him enough credit. Look at that facial hair. Look at that hair. It's quaffed. He's got a Hawaiian yeah, t-shirt. He's a close two. He's it's, a close second. It's Hawaiian. You're a distant. Friday. You're a close. You're you're a distant third. I'm genuinely offended. <laughs> I'm genuinely offended. I mean that's this good because that's what hurting. I was going for. <laughs> wow, wow. I'm sh- I'm shocked. Um, I, I, I love that. Hurt. You know, I don't mean that. I do. I do know this. <laughs> I do know this. Nikki, now it's your turn. Oh, Say you it. love me. There it is. It's on the record, everybody. You heard it here first. I needed that. Uh, how you guys doing this week, man? How you guys holding up? <laughs> you know, gaining weight. I I drank I, I drank, I drank 80% of a bottle of tequila on Tuesday night. Dude, on, I'm, on Tuesday. I'm I bought four bottles. I bought four bottles of wine and in one day I yeah, drank I've two of them. I've just been hammering back beers lately. <laughs> it's bad, dude. It's so bad. Yeah. It's not good. I was just I was making margaritas. Much. At first I was like first I was making them like the blended kind and then I, after like my fifth one, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just pouring this in the bot in the glass." <laughs> <laughs> that's when it. Yeah. That's when it gets bad. That's that's the point where it's just like. I, this, truly, this I, I was. Oh, I, all I was gonna say is I could truly go for like a frozen margarita and some tacos. It'd be perfect. Mwah. Hell yeah, dude! Nice little marg. Mm. Give me a marg, dude. Yeah, I am. Yes. Um, we we bought like and we were like well we're not gonna fucking fuck around and try to make like real margaritas so we bought like a, we bought like a good bottle of tequila but then we bought like what we thought was just margarita mix but it was like the pre-made margaritas so not only was I I was making <laughs> pre-made margaritas mixed with more tequila oh god <laughs> let's go going up on a Tuesday <laughs> going up on a Tuesday it's beautiful beautiful oh boy you guys been watching any basketball nikki and i nikki and i watched some basketball games. this week in, in preparation a for this bit. podcast that watched, was fun uh, 96 finals a game or two the underrated finals yeah. by the way as far as like the 90s are concerned nobody ever underrated talks about finals. nobody, nobody ever talks were about so that fun. one because everybody everybody no. talks about beating the like them beating the jazz back to back uh which kind of reasonable and then everybody talks about the two prior to the 96 finals because there was no Jordan. It was like the opportunity for anybody else to win the finals. And then obviously, I actually think the the, the 90s finals that gets talked about the least is the 91 finals. I agree. Which is weird. I think, which is odd because like that was their first one. So it's like such a pivotal, it's, a, it's such a yeah. pivotal finals for Jordan's legacy. But yeah, it seems to be the one that like, for whatever reason, people... People tend to talk about the least 
just in terms of like his legacy because they beat like not a not a downtrodden Lakers team, but definitely a Lakers team that was on its last leg. Um, yeah, I mean it was the, that was like it was the end of the, the, magic the, it was and, the the final year of of those great '80s Showtime teams. Yeah, I also feel like right. I, I also yeah. feel like both uh, because both times after he like won the third time around, he retired. People think uh, like talk about those more. Because it's such a big deal to win and then retire. It's like, whoa. He t- that's a good point. I, you know what? That's a good point. Twice. It's like, what? Like, but even like, like 96, 96 was his first full season back from playing baseball. The prior, the prior playoffs, they had lost to Shaq and the Magic. So it was like this pretty important kind of like getting things back on track type of championship. And I feel, I feel like it never gets talked about. And, like, I just finished Bill Simmons' book, and S- Steve Kerr said that that's the best team that he's ever played on. Like, of the Bulls teams that he played on, that was the best one. 97? Wait, which which one? The, or 95-96? The 96-97 team. 90, no, it would be 95 or, No, the 95. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Never mind. I, I take that back. Because the 95-96 team was the 72-10 and 10 yeah. team. He said the 96-97 the team was the best team of that I Bulls I actually agree with that. I, I used to always confuse the two. Like the year that they set the record, like I always used to confuse the ninety five ninety six record with the ninety six ninety seven record because like I always thought that that ninety six yeah. ninety seven team was their best roster on paper yeah. at least. And that Strong. was the first time that they played yeah. against the Jazz. Yeah. And then they played them again a second time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, season. Yeah, I don't remember that. I haven't seen. I didn't. I don't remember watching that series. I. 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 To Nikki's point, like. The 98 series seems to be the one that everybody goes back to because it was his last one. So it's like the mm-hmm. one that everybody revisits. And it's like the the iconic plays, right? Like the strip of Karl Malone, the push off of Byron Russell, the, the, like all that shit. I, look, I'm not too good to admit it. I know been. what it was. There's a lot of pushing in the NBA. It's a very it's a, handsy it's a, sport. It's a physical game. Yeah. It's a physical game. Yeah. Anyways. Um... Welcome back, y'all. This is episode 124 of NBA. We are celebrating today in this quarantine life that we're living, but we are here to talk more basketball. I am your host, Jay Quiles, a.k.a. Um, Arvidas Sabrosoness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the West Coast, wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt today, sporting, sporting a cool dad look. Introduce yourself, uh, sir. Nikki Quiles. A.K.A. Demontis Sabone Broth. Okay. Okay. You tried to one-up yes, me. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> Sabrosoness. I think mine was better. Um, and last but not least, my, my brother in with the less melanin. Introduce yourself, <laughs> wow. sir. Hey, it's it's uh, it's Tad, A.K.A. Uh, Dikembe Mutanumbo. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. That's clever. This I've been, is NBA. I've been getting much better. We are back. These. I think it's. I think honestly, what has helped me is like being able to use like historical players since we're like talking a lot about these. Like, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Like the, the, you're just reminded of all these names. Yeah. Well, because uh, we, we were watching the Kings Lakers, not to get ahead of ourselves, but Bobby Jackson. I completely forgot about that man. Uh, Scott, I sent you that text Scott of literally Pollard. all those players that were on those teams. I know. It's just – but you, you forget it. I, we watched them, and I was like, oh, right, Bobby Jackson. It's just Bobby insane. Jackson was dope as hell. Looked, 
looked good Hell in the yeah, headband. Dude. Guess who did? Derek Fisher. We talked about this when we were watching some of those games. Derek Fisher <laughs> looks so bad. So bad. I don't know why he was wearing on. So bad. Um, no. Who is the guy, Nikki, that played for the Kings? Where like his name stuck out to me so much, and I'm like, oh fuck, I haven't thought about that guy in forever. Uh, Doug Christie. And now I now his name is escaping me. No, not Doug Christie. He came off the bench. People forget about um, Doug Christie a lot. Um, came off the bench. Funderburg. Oh, Lawrence Funderburg. Yeah. Oh, Lawrence right, Funderburg. Right, right. Yes. Mateen, <laughs> Mateen Cleaves from Michigan State. Um, obviously, Scott Pollard. Yes. Dude, they had a young Hito Turgaloo with frosted yes, tips. Yes, they did. And, um, and Scott Pollard oh, yeah. also the had greatest frosted, frosted tips. tips. I love he had Scott like Pollard. I remember it at, at one point had like he had like he had like frosted tips and then like a big ass like handlebar mustache that was like all black it was a uh, quite the look man. Oh, yeah. early 2000s were yeah he had they, the, Fu Manchu. A, the early 2000s were a better time <laughs> in some ways the fashion and everything about it was like i was watching the 2001 lakers sixers game and there was a dude i posted on the ig account there was a dude sporting a white t-shirt with a black sweater vest and i'm like what when was this okay when did in when 2001 did baby 2001 Two thousand one. What a year! The year of the sweater vest. Two thousand one. You were you were wearing like, uh, fucking you know the white tee with the sweater vest and some baggy like some <laughs> jeans that were cut well beyond even what boot could. Not quite Jenkos, <laughs> but they were they weren't they were they were worse than boot cut jeans. Yeah. Speaking of, remember boot remember boot wide, cut jeans wide at the ankle. <laughs> Just Terrible. the worst. I don't know why we ever thought those were cool. I saw. I was on Ugh. Twitter one day. This was like several months ago, and GQ tweeted like. Boot cut jeans are making a comeback, and I just responded, "No, they fucking aren't." Yeah, they better not. <laughs> I won't allow it. No, I will not I allow refuse. it. Clean, clean, wholesome fashion. That's what we're all about on the DJ I'm a, I'm Network a, I'm a and NBA here. There, we aren't we all, Taddeus. Um, guys, before we get into the 2002 season, which for the listeners, um, if you haven't up to this point, make sure and listen to the last three episodes. We've been getting in deep in some of these seasons since Michael Jordan retired, the 98 season that we just referred to. Uh, and then as recent as last week doing the 2001 season. So we thought we were going to get a lot more done each episode. Turns out we're getting really nostalgic. So we're probably going to do about one season an episode at this rate, which I hope you can enjoy. But go back and listen to the last couple of episodes. We covered the 98 season, the 99 season, the 2000 season, the 2001 season. And now today we will be covering the 2002 season. But before that, I did want to talk about some current events because there are some things here of note. Say something real quick, and that you you are indeed correct. This this we have we've we've been getting in deep. This is not some fucking just the tip bullshit podcast. Like we we've been getting right up in there. We're going in. We're starting with foreplay, going from the toes all the way to the forehead. Okay, going to the church, eating all the people, <laughs> ringing the bell, going back, do it again. Say the ABCs. What's that? A little bit of. Hello, 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 smack the volleyball. And then we get started. And that's what we're getting. <laughs> we're, getting to, we're getting into all the nitty gritty in these last couple of episodes. Really feeling ourselves. But before we get into the 2002 season, guys, it was announced last week that Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Kobe Bryant are a part of this year's Naismith Hall of Fame basketball class. Like any of us are surprised, by the way. Um, obviously, we've talked about Kobe at 
not I, I, don't want, I was going to say ad nauseum, but frankly, can't talk about Kobe enough, especially over these last couple episodes, and he will continue to come up, obviously. Um, but Tim Duncan, who we talked about a little bit to start this series, but I, it, obviously he will become more prevalent as the weeks go on, um, as his story kind of was created around this time. Um, in any case, um, Kevin Garnett, obviously another one who made the class, again, First ballot Hall of Famers, no real questions or doubts here. Here's the big thing. I feel like we talk about Tim Duncan and Kevin, or pardon me, and Kobe Bryant a lot on this podcast. I wanted to talk about KG a little bit. So I think we've all kind of like laid out our top ten at some point, and Kobe and Tim Duncan are both in our in our in all of our respective top tens. Do we agree? Kobe, Kobe and Tim Duncan. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys two questions. Number one, where does KG rank on your all time list of players? And you don't have to give me an exact number, but, like, give me a range. Unless you have an exact number, of course. Yeah, I say, I would say. That's what I was going to say. I don't know where. I'd, like, have to, like, I'd really have to, like. Yeah. You'd have to list it out. Because, like, your top ten and top five, even, are, like, relatively easy to do. Like, there are a few who you're, like, oh, maybe, like, this guy's at seven, but, like, realistically, he's got a shot at the top five. But, like, they're. They're pretty easy to do. The top 25 thing, that's when it starts getting more and more difficult because, like, you start, you're really starting to compare across eras and you're really starting to, like, it's like, you know, like, um, oh, who's that dude, that cat played in the 80s? Uh, he's an assist, he was an assistant coach, Adrian Dantley. Is that right? <coughs> like, oh, if, yeah. you, if you look at his numbers, incredible player. Nobody really remembers him, though. Like, nobody from our generation, obviously, because he played in the 80s. But, like, he averaged, like, 25 and 8. That's, like, his career numbers. But, like, nobody – I mean, not, like, his overall career, but, like, at the peak of his career, like, for a a good stretch. And it's, like, nobody talks about that guy. And, like, is he worthy of top 25? I don't really know. I can't really say. I wasn't alive then. I didn't watch him play. But, I mean, he probably isn't. But the point I'm making, though, is that you just, like – you there are these guys that kind of get forgotten, but it's, like – Oh fuck, man! Like, yeah, they were pretty fucking good too. So, yeah, yeah. Danley, from what I so from what I know from reading about him in Bill Simmons' book, and then also um, seeing his part of the Bad Boys documentary, he was a guy who was like, I'm trying to come up with a comparison of this generation. So, like, he was like the '80s version of like, uh. Like a Bradley Beal, but th- that couldn't play defense. Like somebody who would fill up the stat sheet. So like a Zach Levine. Um, like would get his would get his points. Yeah, Zach Levine might be a better example actually. Like until he went to the Pistons, like he was like now that's not actually. Now I take that back because Danley was a perennial All Star mm. in Denver and then got traded to the Pistons, made it to the finals. They did. I think they won. Yeah, they won one with Danley and then they won the second one with Mark Aguirre. But like. Adrian Danley was like a big scorer, not a defender, I from mean, what I know. He averaged, his career averages are 24 points, six boards, and three assists a game, while with a career shooting percentage of, uh, where I just passed it, of 540. Oh, wow. Like, wow. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Nobody's taking that away from him. But, like, oh my God. Like, he's like, like, that's what I'm saying, though. Is he a top 25 player of all time? He probably could be, but, like, nobody talks about him. No. Never, not the, never the top player on a championship team. Never made it to the championship before he got to Detroit. I think championships um, hold too much weight. I'm sorry. I disagree. 
I think if you're one of the top three players on a championship team, I think that actually absolutely adds to your resume. I mean, so then do we take away from a lot of the guys in the 90s who never won one? That's usually what ends up hurting them. That's not what I'm saying. So so here's here's like my two criteria for a Hall of Famer. Here's my two. Here's like the two big ones. You are either top five at your position during your peak, and that peak has to have lasted for at least seven, six oh. seasons, five seasons. Let's say five seasons, five seasons, top five at your position, um, or top fifteen in the league, right? All NBA talent for a five year stretch, or you have to have been one of the top three players on an uh, 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 on a championship team, and also have been like. NBA all-star caliber and like top 20 in the league at any given okay, point. Okay, so here's my thing. Adrian Dantley, 79-80, 28 points, 80, 81-30.7, 81-82, 30.3, 82-83, 30.7, 83-84, 30.6, 84-85, 26.6, 85-86, 89.8, 86-87, 21.5, 87-88, 20. I don't like okay like we're we're getting into semantics and we're we're I'm arguing not, a topic that we don't even need to talk about sure. but like I I don't know here's here's my point I think KG I agree top 25 on my list I don't know the exact number I'm probably leaning closer to 25 than I am to 20 um I think for KG his case is won an MVP did Danley ever win an MVP um, I think so Pretty sure he no, did. Two-time All NBA, two-time scoring champ, six-time All Star, All Rookie, Hall of Famer, obviously. Yeah. Can we call him? Can we? Can we call him the the AI of the eighties? <laughs> Potentially. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough. I mean, better. He was. He was, efi- he was. No, he's he probably close. Efficient he's, scorer, though. Yeah. Probably closer to T Mac. He's probably the T Mac of the eighties. Shooting fifty-four percent. Sure. Yeah. That's. A- so we agree that he's the T Mac of the eighties. I think KG. Won, the, won an MVP, best, arguably the best player on the championship team, um, although you can make a case mm-hmm. for Paul Pierce as the best player on that team. Um, defensive player of the year, what, 15-time All-Star? Um, definitely top 25 yeah. resume, if you ask me. Multiple-time All-NBA. Um, and, yeah, I, I, just I, I, like, I yeah, leader. I want to be leader. very clear. I'm, I'm not in any way trying to disparage Kevin Garnett or, like, say that, you know, like Adrian Dantley, for example, was a better player. I'm The point I was overall, like, that we're getting back to is that the top 25 is starts to get way more subjective than the top 10 and top 5 are because the top 5 and top 10 guys I completely are, agree. are clearly the best players of all time. I agree. I agree. Now, with that being said... I would imagine that we all would slot Kevin Garnett into a power forward position. 100%. Yes. Okay. What number is he in terms of the best power forwards of all time? Mm. That's a This is a fun one. I was thinking about this this morning. I'm like I want to I want to have this conversation. So, here's what, here, let's let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go one by one by one and we will name off our top 5 power forwards of number all time. One. And see if Another Kevin Gardner's even on the list. Tim Duncan. Go go ahead. Yep, I agree. Tim Duncan is number one. Carl Malone. I agree. Three Charles Barkley. Is he? You don't think he's a power forward? No, don't don't interrupt. You can't quite can't you can't we cannot question anybody's answers until the end. Yeah, because I think he's a power go ahead, forward. Go ahead. No, 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 not that he's a power forward. I'm saying he's um, a number three. 
Yeah, I think so. No, don't don't ask if he's number three. Just yeah. let him answer no, the question. I think go, he ahead. Is. go 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 um, go go go. Four and five. I think Kevin Garnett might be my fourth. Because I can't even think of a fifth. I like that. I'm trying to think. I guess technically, no, no, I can't think of anyone else for number five. Fuck. You don't. I can't think of many power forwards all of a sudden. I can. I can. And I'm sure there's someone that's very good that just like has slipped my mind. But those are definitely the four. Yeah, there's there's definitely somebody slipping your mind right now. Who is it? Because those are the four that definitely hit hit you first. Tad, Tad, why don't you give Nikki your five? I I wonder if yours is in that five. So my five is number one is Tim Duncan, number two is Carl Malone, number three is Kevin Garnett. Number four is Charles Barkley. Number five, probably Kevin McHale, but there's a there's an argument to be made for Dirk. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I My list is exactly the same as Taz, except I have Dirk as the number five yeah, over Kevin I, McHale. I thought I, I had to think about it, and I think I would take Kevin McHale, but again, like Kevin McHale, I don't know if how well Kevin McHale matches up with Dirk in a game of like one-on-one or like in a game played, you know, outside of the eras just because of the difference in play style of those eras. But Kevin McHale was like just such a dominant, dominant player. That said, Dirk was, you know, obviously also very dominant and, and Dirk is, uh, you know, pretty high on the, uh, the all-time scoring list. But to some degree, you also kind of wonder like, you know, where would Kevin McHale be if he didn't play with, like you know, like all the talent that they had in yeah, Boston. So I, I think like I think I've just talked myself into giving Dirk the nod at five over. Kevin yeah, McHale. I think I think I also would put Dirk at five because because I also think like Dirk won a championship all by himself, pretty much. Like that's hard to, that's very right. hard to do. Exactly. Yeah, I think the thing is like I think some people slot Dirk in as a center in some cases, which is just wrong. He yeah, played the majority of his forward. career power forward. And, like, same thing with Tim Duncan. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I think he was a center. It's like, no, he played the majority of his career power forward. So let's not forget that. Um, no, I am I, I think so, too. Like, obviously, like I said at the beginning, all these guys, no-brainer first yeah. ballot Hall of Famers. But the Kevin Garnett conversation is an interesting one as to, like, where does he slot all the time? Because, like, there's a part of me that thinks that Kevin Garnett doesn't get enough he doesn't. respect because he played during – he, because he played there yeah. at the same time as Tim Duncan. I don't even think I don't even think it's that. I, I think it's just that those Timberwolves teams never did anything. They didn't do you jack. know like it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't he wasn't like those teams, you know, never really did anything. Um and he didn't really accomplish anything t- towards until like towards the twilight of his career when or like the yeah, like the like store like kind of on the on the downward or like uh, like the start of the decline. Not that it was like a huge drop off. Not that like suddenly yeah, Kevin was Garnett his, was terrible was and, and rode coattails, but he wasn't the dominant force that he was. And I mean, like, dude, he was uh, like I, I mean, I remember being in like you know middle school and shit, and everybody fucking loved KG. I I, I never was a big KG fan, like purely from a just I just don't I like the KG. guy. Love KG. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at at best, he made. One conference finals, um, basically just got beat out of the first round of every playoff series. Not his fault. It was a Minnesota thing, but um, he as a player was so, so yeah. incredibly dominant in Minnesota. I was watching a game in the 99 season where he was playing against Akimbe and the uh, and the Hawks and just like... It's Dikembe. What? I said it again. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm working just, on it. I wasn't going to say anything this time. I was just going to let you sound like a <laughs> jackass. 
you fuckos. I, uh, yeah, I, well, whoops. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he was incredible. He, also, I don't think Dikembe gets his, enough credit uh, either. Dikembe was a beast. His, I think, I think Dikembe gets actually maybe more credit than he was potentially deserved just because people always know him. You think the, so? No, no, no. Like, people know who he yeah. is. And, like, people kind of, yeah. like, he was a pretty pedestrian offensive player for the most part. Um, but, oh, yeah, I mean, he was a whatever. Much of a like, Dikembe, he was, he's still a great player. Straight defense. He, like, um, dude, KG man, that little turnaround jumper from the short corner that he had, one of the oh, most yeah. deadly moves ever. Like you know, like you guys have like signature oh, yeah. move, and his was the the turnaround jumper from from the short corner. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just like the little like on the block, just gives him a little shimmy, whip, and yeah. boom, every, every time, every time, nonstop. That that and the elbow jumper, like his elbow jumper was basically un- unstoppable. Oh yeah. Like if he if he picked if he picked at the top of the key or anything like that and rolled to the elbow, that jumper was unstoppable. I think he was the most dominant player. Outside LeBron is 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 different, but outside of LeBron, KG was the most dominant player to come out of high school and just immediately be really fucking good. Yeah. Like just oh yeah, like was oh, yeah. putting up you know twenty points in the league as a fucking eighteen year old child. Yeah. Now he's yeah. doing very good right off yeah. the back. Well, congratulations to KG, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant for making it to the Hall of Fame or being inducted into the I, Hall of Fame. And um, of course, unfortunately, Kobe won't be able to attend. But congratulations I, I just, to the, the that was Bryant the last family. thing I, I wanted to say too. How insane is it that we are talking about? Kobe Bryant being inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, posthumously. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's not a sentence it's you'd ever think you'd say. Anyways, like, you, you no. like uh, Bill Russell's still alive. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, well, that's what like I was listening to a podcast and they were like, you have to put this in in the grand scheme of things. Like, only two MVPs in the history of the NBA MV, uh, of the NBA are not alive, and that's Will Chamberlain. And Moses Malone. They're the only two MVPs in the history of the NBA, NBA yeah. that are not still alive. Every single one of them is still alive. And now Kobe. And now Kobe. Like, it's just you see these guys and, like, they're all around and they're always around forever. Like, they just seem to be around all well, the yeah, time. Kobe, Kobe was supposed and, to be this generation's, like, Bill Russell, who's, like, you know, yeah. always, right. always present and that kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. Um, the next thing I did want to talk about before we get into the 2002 season is – I want to temper expectations, but the Bulls finally made a good decision. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, and I didn't realize it either until I read an article this morning on The Ringer. This is the first external Bulls hire in the Jerry Reinsdorf era. Since 1985, the Bulls have not made an external hire for a basketball executive since Jerry Reinsdorf took over. That's fucking nuts. That's Nuts. That's 35 years since they've made an external hire at the executive basketball level. Insane. Insane. Um, Gar Foreman has stepped down uh, as the VP of basketball operations, and uh, as has Gar Foreman as GM. Um, They since have hired, I'm going to get this, Arturis Karnasovas, who was the general manager for the Denver Nuggets, uh, for the last seven years, and prior to that, worked for the Houston Rockets um, as their director of international scouting uh, under Daryl Morey. Um, 
Chicago rejoiced, as you would expect. Although, in true Bulls fashion, they have not fired Gar Foreman or John Paxson as of yet. So, guys, how do we feel about how do we feel about this hire? I, I have hope, a lot to say, so I'll let I'll let Nikki start. No, truly, all I'm gonna say is I hope it actually does lead to some changes because I don't have any faith in the Bulls, and I assume Ryan Zorz is gonna fuck this up somehow. I mean, the guy's resume is impressive. He's already made a hire today, um, as he hired an assistant GM. Uh, JJ, his last name I'm forgetting. He was the director of basketball operations, senior director of basketball operations for the Pelicans. Um, and um, according to their GM, who is um, Jesus Christ, was the Cavs GM. Now I'm forgetting Jesus his Christ. Name. Uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus Christ, was Christ their GM. general manager. Um, no, David. Uh, David, what's his face? He was the CRM or the CRM. Jesus Christ. He was the GM for the for the Cleveland Cavaliers um, the, during the oh, LeBron era. Um, Fucking Christ! My God, why can't I think of his name? David Griffin. Mm, Thank you, yes. uh, David Griffin. I kept, my mind kept um, going to Denny. Ferry, gave this guy who was their GM like fifteen years ago. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, David Griffin had a lot of good things to say about this guy. He said he's a cap specialist, uh, a, a, a cap specialist, payroll specialist, um, which. As many listeners may remember, Gar Foreman once uh, asked another executive to explain the rules to the cap. Um, so we can only go up. Uh, and they're already looking at GMs from the Magic, from uh, from Denver, from a variety of different places. Uh, not Denver, pardon me. Um, Denver, we hired uh, their like director of basketball operations. But in any case, hires are already being made. A lot of rumors coming out that Jim Boylan is going to get fired. So, so far, so good for me. But, Tad, you, you seem to have uh, many things to say. So, please, the yeah, floor I mean, is yours. Like, he's, like, frankly, I thought this was a really good hire. Um, but the Bulls have already hamstrung him in keeping Foreman and Paxson in the building. Um, he doesn't have a real snowball's chance of actually doing anything successfully while those two are in there because they will continue to do whatever they can to pull any levers and strings uh, to prevent him from having success. That is my humble and firm belief. Um, So yeah, super great hire by all accounts. Like anybody who like, you know, follows basketball to the extent that like, you know, I think like myself does or like the other, like, you know, hardcore fans who follow like the GMs and the coaching changes and all that stuff uh, would, would 100% say this is a phenomenal hire. The problem is if you're going to hire somebody like that, you have to clean house. You have to get rid of like the internal people who are going to uh, potentially cause problems. And they have, the bulls simply won't do that. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf is, is, he's just loyal to a fault or I don't even know if it's loyalty or just like, eh, people still buy tickets and people still show up. I don't care, which I think with Ryan, the Reinsdorf's, it's a little bit of that. It's probably the Um, latter. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been my understanding um, based on all of the people that I, I know um, that are Bulls fans and also living in this illustrious city of ours. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just I just think he's set up to fail, and I don't think it's going to work out because I think he's going to get undermined by those two guys who will continue to have uh, a significant amount of pull in the front office, I assume. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the thing that gives me hope is – as an organization that is has been given a very uh, well deserved label as a, a poorly run organization and and not a, a player friendly organization, um, to some extent, to have a guy who comes from 
a smaller market team who built that team without any major free agents, uh, free agent signings. Like the biggest free agent they've signed over the last 10 years was yeah. Paul Millsap. Um, Paul, Paul really Trill building Sap. it through. There you go. Like really building that roster through intelligent trades for guys like Will Barton and then drafting guys like Nikola Jokic, um, uh, uh, fucking, um, what's his face? Gary Harris, um, Jamal Murray, like really building that team with quality players, even graft drafting a guy like Yusuf Nurkic and then trading him like and getting Will Barton in return for that trade. Like you're, you're talking about some like real, just really high quality drafting, high quality trades and building up a team without having to bring in this like star free agent. Um, and, and to some extent, like he's going to have to do that here. Like we've, depending on who you ask, we've got a nice core group of players here in Chicago. Um, We're definitely missing that marketable star, that person who's really going to elevate us to the next level because it's definitely not Zach Levine. But, um, you know, there's, there's some guys here that either a, if we bring in the right coaching staff, we can mold into much better players or B, we can leverage as assets to bring in even better players or more draft picks, which, I'm interested to see the route that he goes because I think this team is closer to making the playoffs than they are to tanking again. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with this team. They had a huge jump um, in wins when he took over as GM um, after Tim Connolly got promoted. So I'm really interested to see. So I, I agree with Tad. If if John Paxson and Gar Foreman have any semblance of an opinion on anything that happens, we're fucked. But if the Reinsdorfs hire this guy and let him do his thing, I'm he's got a he's got a really really impressive resume and I'm I'm really fucking pumped about it. I this. will say um Excuse me. Sorry. <clears throat> Yawning on the microphone. That's good radio. <laughs> um Oof. The one thing I, I I will say is uh you know you're kind of mentioning like getting like you know like a, a a star like a true, you know, marketable star player. Um I cannot Outside of Michael Jordan, the Bulls have never had a player for me that really made me excited about the Bulls. Now, I know what both of you are going to say. Both of you are going to be like, Derrick Rose, no, no, no. And like, that's that's totally uh, fine and, and fair game. Um, I, I Derrick Rose is a very talented player. But Derrick Rose like never moved the needle enough for me to be like, I'm into the Chicago Bulls. Like, they just have so, they've just never had like cool players. They, they just have never had any players who I'm like, these guys, like, it's like, oh, Derrick Rose is great, but then, like, your best, second best player is Car- Carlos Boozer. And, like, <laughs> Carlos Boozer is not getting me out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? That is not true. That is not true. Those teams had Luol Deng and Joe Luol Kino, Deng is a fucking boring-ass player who plays good defense and shoots 18. Two he shoots 18-footers. He plays good defense and shoots 18-footers. He's the king of the long two. Shot a lot of three-pointers. Luol Deng, more like long two Deng. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's bad wow. you're better than that i'm just i'm you're just saying though that, like the bulls have that. never had like since michael have never had like a player where i'm like oh man fuck yeah like i'm gonna root for like the portland trailblazers have damian lillard and i'm like fuck yeah i love damian lillard i want to watch the trailblazers and like yeah you know I what i mean that. like they're they're just yeah it's 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 sort of like the knicks have had this same problem like carmelo anthony fun i i loved the knicks when omari stoudemire was their number one guy but like Carmelo Anthony doesn't never move the needle enough for me to be like, oh, the Knicks are dope and Carmelo's dope. Like, it just you know. So I'd love for the Bulls to do that That's because fair. I'd love to be able to go to Bulls games not to watch the other team. 
And look, hey, if if I want to, if I'm going to be completely honest, like the Magic really haven't had players that have moved the needle for me in a long time either. I root for them and I watch them, but I don't particularly love like any of the players. Markel Fultz right now is the first guy in a long time that I've felt that way about. J.J. Redick, obviously, when he was still in Orlando, but, I mean, that's not a, a big-time marketable star. It's He's the biggest marketable star. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, guys, I think it's about that time. It is time for the 2002 NBA season review. NBA season review, if you will. Nikki. Hit him with it. July 18th, 2001. Summer was in full swing, and our big boy Shrek just finished crushing it at the box office with $484 million worldwide. Well, somebody once told me that Patrick Ewan played for the Magic. I never believed them. But on July 18th, they signed the, 30-year-old, the 39-year-old for what would be his final season. This day would also see 38-year-old Charles Oakley join the Bulls. Not just old people were moved around this day, as New Jersey and Phoenix swat point guards Stephon Marbury and Jason Kidd. Also, the man who was once stepped over, Tyron Lue, signed with the Wizards on this day. July 19th, 2001, the very next day, the Orlando Magic continued their old big man buying spree as they signed 36-year-old Horace Grant. August 2nd, 2001. Another big old legend is moved as 39-year-old Hakeem Olajuwon is traded to the Raptors for what would be his final season. This seems to be known as the season of the old men moving. As September 25th, 2001, the old train keeps a-rolling as 38-year-old Michael Jordan... I almost said the wrong Michael. As 38-year-old Michael Jordan (laughs) decided America needed their golden boy back and signed with the Wizards to join Ty Lue. The 2001 NBA draft was much nicer to fans as we got future household names like Paul Gasol, Tony Parker, and Zach Randolph. But this also brought a sacrificial lamb as the first overall pick, who would later join Jordan and Ty in Washington, was Kwame Brown. Oof. He had tiny hands. Tiny hands. <laughs> yeah. And a vagina. Hey, man. Michael Jordan called him a pussy. He did. He also... He also called him some other. <laughs> he also called him some other names that, that people. He called him some homophobic yep. slurs. Yeah, I'm Probably sure he did. Many, many I'm time. sure he did. Uh, can I just say before we hop into this too far? Uh, number one, I didn't realize that all the olds had moved around this off season. <laughs> this was the off season that all the old people n- moved around. Number uh, two, the NBA saddest old. the saddest photo I've ever seen is the photo of. Uh, Hakeem in his Raptors jersey guarding Patrick Ewing yeah. in his Magic jersey. It's just sad. It's awful. It makes yep. me so sad. It's crazy because like the season before, where like Tracy McGrady is is now on the Magic, and then the year right after that, who do they bring? Fucking <laughs> what? Are, I forgot who the other Magic. Horace Horace Grant, Grant, Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Ewing, two. Th- <laughs> two late 30s centers and they're like let's do it i mean horace the horace grant was back for uh for the encore yeah. in orlando because he had he had played right, second there time in the, in the second mid-90s. time yeah he was on that the the, the mm-hmm, finals mm-hmm. team if i'm not mistaken that was his second to last <laughs> season so the 
the Magic decided to get the and if I'm not mistaken, like two years ago we had said had uh what was it uh who would get had their last season with the Magic um I forgot all of a sudden. Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp is that last? No, no, Thank no, you. no. Dominique, Dominique Wilkins. Wilkins. Oh, yeah, Dominique yeah, Wilkins. Dominique yeah, Wilkins. Yeah, yeah. Also, right. just a couple seasons prior, the Magic are real yeah. big fans of giving. <laughs> oh, that poor picture. Tad. It's put just up the so. Picture. Oh, that picture. It's so, just so sad. It's really bad yeah. to like, look at. For the listeners, they, we are looking at the the Raptors Hakeem versus Magic. They, uh, they just look. They look tired. <laughs> Oh, for sure. <laughs> and the thing is, like, they're 39. It's not like these oh. guys were, like, 60 or, like, you know, 50 still trying to no. push. Like, 39. Like, well, Jay, you're, what, like, 37? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll be there soon. Well, it feels it feels like when – you remember when you were a kid and you would go to, like, to the just the gym? Your dad would play pickup basketball and it's him and all his old friends. And every once in a while you get, they would let you guys like, – That's what that play. photo looks That's like. That's what that photo looks like. It's just like oh, it's just like oh, it's just a couple yeah. of dads playing basketball, but they're getting paid very well for it. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they oh, look man. like once they're done, they're gonna be freaking icing their knees, drinking a beer, talking about what they gotta get their wife for their anniversary. Oh shit! I just realized <laughs> it's today. I gotta hurry up. The kids failing out of school. Yeah, one of the kids is failing. <laughs> Patrick Ewing oh, Jr. Yeah, was good. smoking a cigarette the other day, so I'm gonna have to go deal with that now. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, y'all remember remember Patrick Ewing Jr.? He didn't suck. He was NBA like an NBA like an NBA player for what three years? Yeah, I mean by sure. NBA standards, he kind of sucked. Uh, he was pretty. pretty well, yeah, he was he a was, bad he NBA. Was pretty player, much, but. pretty much. Uh, only in the league because uh, who his father was and because he, he was a, a fairly respectable player at Georgetown. But, I mean, he wasn't good. <laughs> well, he went to he went to Indiana, didn't he? No, he went to George, Georgetown. Oh, he that's started, right. He did what? start at Indiana, but he, he, started he started in Indiana, in Indiana he? but he I transferred thought. to Georgetown. That is correct. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean, to, I didn't right. mean to mock I you. I remember that. Um, right. Dude, That's his right. he he had right. he averaged. I could Google this, and somebody can fact check me here. But he averaged like eight points a game as a senior at Georgetown. I'm looking it up right now, and I accidentally put, and somehow still damn. and somehow still got drafted. At one point, I definitely did put Patrick Ewing too, and I was like, "Oh, screwed that up." Uh, <laughs> but oh. We're, no, that's not real. Wrong one. Pat, wrong Patrick Ewing. Sorry, I put in Patrick Ewing Jr. and put me in some guy who's only played seven games in his career. Oh boy. Well, let's get into it, guys. Um, so the 2002 season. What a <laughs> what an interesting season. I'd like to start by talking about Michael Jordan, uh, joining the Wizards after two, three years of being retired at the ripe old age of 38. I have taken some time over the last couple weeks to watch some Michael Jordan Wizards games. And there is some good, there is some bad, and there is just some god-awful basketball in those three seasons. Two two seasons? Three seasons. I think it was three. Two seasons. Two seasons that he came back. Um, What do you guys remember from that period? Dude, I I, I actually, like... Sort of fun. Like I, I remember like playing like NBA like NBA Live and like still like just going off like with Jordan. Like still playing with Jordan. Um I, I actually like 
remember him being probably better than he. I mean, he wasn't bad, but like I, I probably, no, I probably I remember him being better um, than he actually was at that time. I think, I think around this time was when like. Um, you know, we obviously talked at length about Kevin Garnett, but I feel like this was around the time where I remember like Kevin Garnett, like being like really popular and, and sort of on the rise. And, uh, I'm, this is like, you know, right around the time where Kobe was really hitting his stride into like, you know, he was obviously very good prior to this, but like Kobe was like sort of getting into that, like, Oh, I could be the alpha dog on this team instead of Shaq. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of like, that was around the time that this started, um, but yeah, man, like I, I just, I, I, I still remember like hanging out with my friends and playing like PlayStation and firing up NBA live and, and, and we were all still fighting over who got to play with Michael. Yeah. I, I looked up his stats <laughs> this in the 2001, 2002 season, he averaged 22.9 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 5.2 assists and 1.5 steals. Now, what's interesting is like this is super timely because Jerry Stackhouse just got yeah. interviewed recently and was talking about how hard it was to play with Michael, like as a guy who you idolized growing up, and then playing on a team that like kept feeding him the ball, even though you knew at that point in time you were probably better than him. Dude, which... Jerry Stackhouse was never better than Michael. Jerry Stackhouse was fucking trash. I don't care. Forty-five-year-old I... Michael Jordan could have schooled twenty-four-year-old Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> Jerry Stackhouse was Jerry not Stackhouse trash. has like a career, agree a career shooting percentage of like thirty-nine percent. He was, he was, he was a, he was a a slightly better Larry Hughes. He was early 2000s basketball personified. (laughs) I, you know what? I take everything I was going to say back. I completely agree with that sentiment. I have no, I have no arguments and no rebuttals. 40% That was well said, by the way, in his career. Yeah, dude, get your shit together. You fucking idiot. 40 I'm pretty sure Nick Young has a higher career field goal percentage than fucking Let's 40%. Let's look it up. Probably, You're probably sure. right. Like Jerry Stackhouse, like, these are the efficiency he scored a so lot of points, but he was mm-hmm. unbelievably inefficient. One year he scored, let's see, the, it, the one year in Detroit, he scored 30 points a game while shooting 40% from the floor. Nick Young is uh, shoots 42%. Field goal. He w- he averaged he averaged thirty points a game on twenty four shots a game. Twenty four shots to score thirty points. That's how <laughs> you think about it. LeBron LeBron scores thirty and takes like fourteen shots. Yeah, that's right. You're right. No, so going back to Tad's point about like MJ, like I watched a lot of his games. I watched a game where he went up against Kobe and like did really well. I watched a game against the Bulls, which was such a sad Bulls. He was like Ron Mercer, Charles Oakley's old ass, fucking Brad Miller, Ron Artest, uh, Kevin Ollie was a starting point guard. That was Tyson Chandler's rookie season, isn't Eddie the, Curry's isn't rookie that season. That's the game where um, Jordan gets blocked by Ron Artest, I think, and then he comes back, blocks Ron Artest at the other end, and then dunks it or something, does something cool at the other end to score. There's a game. He got the yeah, block off, off the, the off the glass. Remember two, the two, two hand the block off the glass. Off. This was 38 year old Michael. Yeah. This is the first game. This is the first game. I think it was his first game back, like playing against the Bulls. Not back in Chicago, just yeah. against the Bulls in general. And I think it was Ron Mercer goes up for a layup, and Jordan just comes out of nowhere and just fucking glasses his shit with two hands, and then cocks it back, lands, and then starts the fast break. Like even at that point in time, like to Taz's point. He was not bad. Like, he was still an all-star caliber player at 38. Now, he wasn't 
that Michael anymore. But man, there were some games. Now, again, I watched the second game when he came back to Chicago and was like fucking four for 19 in the first three quarters with like six points total. Yeah. Like really that, 10 that turnovers. Is statistically, like finished the game with like 22. Impossible. He could not be four of 19 with six points. There is there yeah. is no way given scoring <laughs> in the NBA that he could make four field goals <clears throat> and have scored six three? points. Did I say three? You said four did I say, of 19 I with, I with six points. <laughs> Three of I just want to clarify for the people uh, listening at home that the rules in 2001 and 2002 were not different. <laughs> Thank you, Taddeus. Uh, but he, I think he ended up finished that game with like 21 points, like seven boards, and like 10 turnovers. Like those were the types of games you were getting from Michael way more regularly than than what you were accustomed to. But every once in a while, you got a glimpse of that mid range. He like and he played a different style of game. Like he was playing on the block a lot more, like backing dudes down, like taking advantage of of that like of and kind of being a little bit more savvy of a basketball player getting his points Picking a little bit spots, like uglier those kinds of things too. um which he always yeah, kind of did yeah. he did like throughout his career but it was it was it, he played there was less more like it was less of a frantic pace and it was more of like a methodical game like that he played yeah. at that time right yeah. right yeah it was i mean i enjoyed it i remember back then like being a kid who was like Big into the NBA, not really getting a chance to enjoy Jordan during his heyday and thinking like, oh, cool, this is my moment to actually watch Michael. It sucks that he's not with the Bulls. This is kind of awkward. And just like watching him and just like, I just remember at that time just being in awe of what he was still capable of doing, despite the fact that like, like I said, watching it now through, through arguably like a slightly more educated viewpoint of basketball, like seeing seeing some really good but some seeing some 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 pretty mediocre type it's, shit as well but overall like just yeah, incredibly impressive for that age it's very funny to me that he, oh did you like he came back that year but he actually had a better season from an efficiency and like overall standpoint his the following season in yes, washington than he did he had he had a better season at 39 than he did at 38 um yeah, I mean the numbers would would argue differently, but I agree with Tad that he was more efficient and was like better for the team. I guess that team was interesting though, dude. I completely forgot about Shahidi White. I'll tell you that oh much. My God. Completely <laughs> forgot about Shahidi White. What a name! Watching these games, I'm like, I totally forgot. And like, I so watching these games, like it's inevitable. You watch these games from the early 2000s, you're like, oh shit, I forgot about this Popeye guy. I forgot Jones. about this guy. I forgot, like. Ira Nesby? Who the, I don't know who the fuck that Ira was. Are you talking about Ira Newble? I have no idea. No, no, no. Nesby was his last name. I don't know who the fuck he was. Um, Dude, I forgot um, Christian Leitner was on that um, Wizards team. Oh, yeah. Christian Leitner oh, was yeah. on that team. Fucking Popeye Jones was on Popeye. that team. Byron Russell was on that team for a season. That was Richard Hamilton's like rookie and sophomore years. Who, who and they, they traded, traded for, Jerry for Jerry Stackhouse. I will Terrible take Rip trade. Hamilton Terrible. a billion times before I would ever take Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. 100%. 100%. But yeah, it's like you you look at Jahidi White and I'm like, there's no way that he played more seasons after Michael left. And he ended up playing for like nine seasons. Most of them with the Wizards. Jay, that game in question, this- Michael was, real quick, 7 for 21 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, 2 for 6 from, three point re- or from free throw. He had 12 rebounds, which is wild. Four assists, two steals, two blocks, four fouls, nine turnovers. 
Wow, Jay, Oof. you were pretty yeah, that was fucking close to that stat line. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I just watched it. I, I just watched it. I wanted to just share it this It was, uh... <laughs> Chahidi. What Oof. a fucking... My God. Like, look what at this specimen. fucking... Look what at this specimen. fucking photo. I believe... <laughs> I don't even know who that is trying to guard him, but my God. I believe that's what scientists <laughs> call a unit. That's a big boy. It's fucking David versus boy. Goliath that's in that fucking boy. photo, whoever that is. That's a big fucking boy. That's funny. Yeah, just some interesting names on that season. But like, yeah, I also remember too. Like, and this is this is next season. But like, Michael making into the All Star game, and like everybody like being on, like letting him into the game in the fourth quarter. He almost wins the game. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? He almost wins the game with like a yeah, three corner yeah. in the corner. Like, holy shit, man! It was just. At the time, I just remember thinking, this is super fucking cool to watch as a guy who didn't get a chance to grow up watching Michael. Like, this is just really fucking cool. And, but it was like bittersweet. It was really cool to watch him, but also like, it was like seeing your dad, like, he had a new girlfriend, and you're just like, she's nice. Like, I like, but she's yeah. not my mom, you know? Like, I love my mom. She's just not my mom. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> that was yeah, the best was analogy great. I could come up with. Oh, man. Uh, Anything else you guys want to talk about in terms of um, Michael on the Wizards? No, I think that's good. No, no. All right, let's move on to the next thing, which was Nikki mentioned this in his rundown, as he did Michael, a major, major, major trade between the Nets and the Suns. I think at the time it was actually a three-team trade. Um, but the Nets trading Stefan Marbury was like the, the, the big piece of the trade. I'm sure there was other players involved as well. For, to the Suns for Jason Kidd. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I am doing it. I am doing players. it right now. I remember that trade. Like I vividly remember that trade, and just being like, "Oh my god!" Because at the time, I was still very much in my infancy of like my my basketball knowledge, and I was like, "I can't believe the Nets traded fucking Stephon Marbury," not realizing what Jason Kidd yeah. was at the time. I was just that ignorant to, to I basketball think most, at the time. I, I think most people would probably be in that same boat. I remember thinking it was wild, too, strictly because they were getting getting Stefan Marbury, who has been, like, who, yes. who, who had, like, he was a fun player to watch, man. He was fucking was tight in Minnesota, and then, like, he was cool in New Jersey. Um, it, it, it is actually crazy. Like, I'm, I'm looking at his page right now that, like, he had such short stints in those places because like he spent the longest time of his career in New York. And I mm -hmm. truly remember him as a net and a son more than I do a Nick. And I was more yeah. into the NBA during his Knicks tenure than I was, you know, I was like, you know, <clears throat> I agree. I I'm on the same boat as a Nick for some reason. Um, but I found the yeah, trade I think here. it's too just I mean he like, got there he got there in his his 26 yeah. age season and he, and he was I mean and he was pretty good but like obviously the those Knicks just went through just <laughs> so many internal struggles which we'll get to we'll get to yeah, we'll, we'll talk get about to the, I the found Knicks the trade the, by the way the mid odds I did too it was uh, if you want to read it you, you may go ahead oh okay yeah it was Chris Dudley uh, and Jason Kidd they went to the Nets for Stefan Marbury Johnny Newman and Samila Samake Sumaila uh, Samaki. Sumaila Samaki. I don't know how to say his name cool. properly. Many many names besides Chris Charles that yeah. I don't know. Um, what, yeah, 
I would, I just remember sh- I remember when that trade. Go, go sorry. Go. I was go going to say, would it shock you if I were to tell you that Sumaila uh, Samaki is still playing uh, professional basketball at at this current at what? this current time? Only if you said he was yeah. playing in the NBA. <laughs> Fair enough, because he's playing for the Vancouver Dragons. He has not played in the NBA since a stint with the Lakers in 2002. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, man, I wasn't expecting um, you to think he was playing in the NBA. I just It's just insane <laughs> that he's, he's still playing professional basketball. He's 42. If you would have said the Memphis Grizzlies, I would have been like, <laughs> what? Get the fuck out of here. What? Some hockey guy, a guy in a trade in 2002. He's got to be 41. Oh, um, he was suspended. He yeah, was suspended. That- from the NBA for steroids. Oh, really? What? One of like in five In 2002, people. he was only the go, third buddy. player suspended for steroids following Don McLean and Matt Geiger. Oh, Matt, wow. Matt. <laughs> Guys, the, you know that what? list. I did not know that Matt Geiger tested positive, but the, but the fucking barbed wire <laughs> arm tattoo should have told that, me that. That list of three players of guys that tested positive for steroids is like, Pretty sad, considering those guys, none of those three were anything of note in the NBA. No. Like, dude, performance-enhancing no. drugs? I don't know. We might not be allowed to call them that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, so getting back to that trade, that that trade completely changed the dynamic of that Nets team for the next, like, seven or eight years. Like, those Jason Kidd Nets teams were the top of the top in the Eastern Conference for a really, really long time. I mean, this is a team that over the last like five years had drafted guys like Keith Van Horn, Kerry Kittles, uh, 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 Kenyon Martin. You bring that guy into the fold. Now with a rookie, Richard Jefferson, you bring in Jason Kidd, who is, and like at the time, I didn't really know much about Jason Kidd because I wasn't really that well informed. And like he had played in a small market. He had played in Phoenix and he had played in Dallas. So like and in college, Stefan Marbury was a much bigger deal. Pretty big market. I guess at the time he was not at the time. Not at the time. I mean at the time the Cowboys at the time there were nobodies, you know, running that town. Not that they not that they still I mean when when still when they had Jim Jackson when they had Jim Jackson, Jamal Mashburn and and uh, and uh, and uh, fucking Jesus Christ and Jason Kidd like that was like oh my gosh this team look is really solid like quite impressive and then they just never really they never really came to fruition then he goes to Phoenix plays in a really crowded backcourt with like Kevin Johnson and Steve Nash uh, and is an all star there and is phenomenal then gets traded to New Jersey and that's when like. I mean, like, you're talking about, like, MVP caliber Jason Kidd for, like, a three-year period there where, like, there was two back-to-back seasons there where he lost the MVP to Tim Duncan, and I genuinely thought, like, he was robbed. Now, in retrospect, I was incredibly wrong, but at the time, he was just so flashy and fun to watch. I don't know what you guys remember about Jason Kidd in that trade. Yeah, I actually, like, had never been a huge fan of his game. Like, you say flashy, but I always thought he was kind of boring. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he scored he a lot like, of points. He played a lot like magic. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. And and at that time, like that kind of basketball wasn't as like cool as it, as it had been. But it, it also, I think, has a lot to do with the the time, right? Like, it, you know, we were watching guys like T Mac and and shit, like just you know, yeah. go isolation and yeah, exactly. Like, and and Jason Kidd wasn't wasn't that kind of player. He was a he was a very no. very very talented player. Jason, um, Jason Kidd. Kidd also. A uh, noted scumbag who I really yeah. don't particularly like, but you know, we 
we'll, there it is. We won't. I, well, we won't talk about his his personal troubles. We'll, um, we'll avoid that for today. I was gonna say Jason Kidd feels like the original like dad playing basketball. Like the yeah, he, he definitely had a very old, old man's he game. Has the old man game to him, and you're just like, yeah, no, that's he 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 looks like he belongs at the Y with with uh, Magic Patrick Ewing and and Raptors Hakeem Olajuwon, like. Except for except for so two things happen when he goes to New Jersey. Number one, he becomes a much better shooter and basically becomes like a walking triple double. Like any game, he, he had a he had the potential of getting it. Like he was like Russell Westbrook esque at that time. Like very like any day, you were not surprised if Jason yeah. K got a triple double. And number two, while most of the parts of his game were very boring. His passing Unbelievable. was like his Unbelievable. court one vision of the, one was of the best incredible. passer, one of the best passers I've ever seen in my life. So ever, good. and I think that is what made him like. What's funny is like you look at those seasons, and the two guys that were at the front of the MVP race were two of the most boring players in the NBA, and Tim Duncan and Jason Kidd. Like other than the passing, you got Mister Fundamental and old man game as like the premier MVP candidates of the NBA at this time. Again, speaking to the early two thousands NBA, like this is yeah. the product that we were getting at that point in time for good, for that good just, or for bad. It, it is it's what just it was. So funny to even think about, you know, like, yeah. Cause like Dude. you are, you are correct. And the, the flashy part of Jason Kidd's game was like the passes that he threw and like how creative he was at like, you know, getting his teammates like open shots and that kind of thing. Like, it, it, like, yes, incredible passer um not nearly as good of a passer in my opinion as steve nash but we'll get into that in a couple seasons um I but agree. still like you are right that like those were the guys winning mvp and you're you, you know as a kid you're like god these guys are fucking boring but now like as an adult i'm like oh yeah you know why these guys were like in the front of the mvp race because they were playing basketball the right way and doing like yeah. the good like <laughs> fundamentally sound things that uh they needed to do uh it would be it would be like al horford oh, winning the mvp nowadays you're just right. Like, exactly. No, I know he's good, exactly. but God damn, is this boring? Like, you could do something more. The one this. thing I, I will say too, though, about I've always thought Jason Kidd was another one of those guys that was pretty overrated. He, for the majority of his career, shot sub forty percent from the floor. Oh, he even was really even, bad. Like, like even really, his really late bad. seasons in Dallas. Like even his veteran seasons. Like he was a, a terrible, terrible scorer. Like he he. He no took a lot there. of shots to not score that many points. So I'm I always I'm always like a little hesitant, like because I've been knocking on a lot of these guys, and I've always been a little hesitant to like knock too much on the guys that played in this era for their field goal percentage. But at the same time, like you guys got to clean it up. You know what I mean? Like you can't be yeah. shooting fucking thirty eight percent from the floor. He he was an MVP runner up or finished third for the MVP in a year that he shot thirty eight percent from the floor. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's absurd to me. <laughs> Like, oh, that, man. and that's, I think that's part of the reason why I always like sort of like dismiss how good he was. Like he was a pretty good player, but at the same time, like, you know, he was like, it's like, bro, like you're out here shooting that broke ass. What, what's astounding is he was a, a pretty decent three point shooter. Like he shot like 35% or so, or so from three, but like. That was, and it was generally about in line with what his normal field goal percentage was, which is is very weird. Like you don't you don't normally see that, but I do remember you know at times like people would call him Jayless Kid because he had no jumper. 
That's a good. That's a good one. Also, real quick. Oh man. The, real so quick. Just, sorry. The go uh, ahead. The season prior, when when AI won the MVP, he shot thirty nine percent from the field, thirty nine point eight. Like oh, we covered a, that. I know we talked about, but it's we just like that. I never really thought about like how just trash some of these guys were when it so comes bad. to like just they just them. didn't have good. That's why that's why Tim Duncan was so valuable. It's just like yeah, he's shooting like nearly sixty yeah. percent from the field, um, and is a phenomenal defensive player, incredibly efficient on the offensive end, and also all his yeah. teammates really love him. <laughs> So, Jason Jason Kidd know. was also a, a good defender, and he he had a very good oh, yeah. game. He rebounded, yes. he passed well. Like yes. I'm not trying to shit all over this guy, but he was a good defender. You know, he just was he just fucking was a, an in, inefficient fucking shooter. Yeah, he couldn't shoot with shit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and that that trade did not work out as well for the Suns. Like, listen, the Suns made the playoffs in consecutive years with Stefan Mari there, uh, Marbury there. And like they had Sean Marion and then Penny Hardaway, like an older Penny Hardaway later on, they drafted Amari Stoudemire. So like there were some good teams there in Phoenix with Stefan Marbury. Um, but like the results didn't even, they weren't even close. I think I actually if I remember correctly, he, I think I the Nets had like he a, was there during his last season. There was Amari's rookie year, right? Uh, I think he was there for a couple more seasons. Actually. Let me just take a look here. I kind of forgot that they played together. In all honesty, like they played together. Honestly, these episodes have been fun to do for no reason than just to like remember shit that I had forgotten about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So they played together 2002, 2003, 2003, 2004, and then two, and that was it. So they brought in Steve Nash, but they also had, yeah. Uh, three seasons. Three seasons, three seasons oh, total. Okay, shit. Wow. Okay. I'm an idiot. It felt yeah. like you. So three seasons like total. You don't. I just. I don't remember them together right? like much either. I cannot. I cannot yeah. wait. Three seasons. Three I seasons total. Wait for about two episodes from now, so we can talk about those Suns teams. Yeah, they are fun. <laughs> old fun Suns. They're they're old. Those heinous ass <laughs> jerseys that they had back then too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh no, two seasons. I'm sorry, you're right, two seasons. But they also had Joe Johnson on those. Oh, I remember teams. when. Very, yeah, very I remember, good I remember when Joe Suns Johnson teams. left to go to the Hawks. It was such a big deal because, like, he left. He left uh, like right when the 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 Suns were still at that point of just not being able to get over the hump to beat the Lakers. We'll talk about it. I'm not going to get too far into it. Like, yeah. I could just talk about this all day long. But yeah, I remember. I remember Joe Johnson scoring like you know like 22 a game for those Suns teams who had like Sean Marion scoring like 20 and Amari scoring 20. That team, those teams scored like 115 points, 116 points a game, but also gave up like 117. <laughs> we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah. About so, them. so looking at the Nets, so the Nets make a a marketed improvement from the previous season where they finished 26 and 56 with Stefan Marbury. And then the season when Jason Kidd comes on board, they finished 52 and 30 finished first in the NBA overall and make it to the finals with Byron Scott as their head coach. Um, he, he had an, he, I mean, he had an immediate impact and that team was like pretty solid. Like I, I was, Nikki and I were watching the game earlier today and I'd watched a couple games earlier. Like, you have Keith Van Horn, Kerry Kittles, Todd McCullough, uh, 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 Jason Collins, fucking Lucius Harris. You remember Lucius Harris with the face mask? No, he didn't need it. I totally forgot about him until I was watching yeah, the game. He, he didn't have to wear it, but he did anyway. It, yeah, he I still remember. wore it. Um, Kenyon Martin. Like Kenyon Martin, Brian Scalabrini, Aaron Williams. 
I forgot Bryant's Calabrini was on that team. <laughs> in interesting teams, like really interesting team, pretty solid team overall that made it to the finals two years in a row. Like Jason Kidd, like took that team from the bottom of the Eastern Conference to a finals contender in like for for really the the longevity of his career in New Jersey. Um, and we'll talk about Vince Carter in later episodes, but like that team just kept reloading over a period of years there. Like they brought in Alonzo at one point, they brought in Dikembe at one point, they bring in Vince Carter at one point, Gerald Wallace at one point. Like they're just Wallace. like there's a revolving door of guys trying to keep that thing going for for that like like early to mid two thousands period. But yeah, that trade was I I I remember that trade yeah. vividly as as like a really substantial like really phenomenal trade. Um, so let's uh, actually, I just want to pull up Nikki. Do you have uh could you pull up the season awards yeah, for that season? I just want to run through those real quick. Um, and I think I was going to say, let's, I'm going to bypass the other trade that we were going to talk about. Since That's we're already okay. like an hour in. Um, if you want to talk what about it a little bit while what I look at the stats. Go ahead, talk about it for what a other, little bit. Well, the only other trade that I was going to talk about was the trade between the Bulls and the Pacers that sent Brad Miller and Ron Artest to the Pacers uh, and sent Jalen Rose, Travis Best, and like some other randos to uh, to Chicago. I think Antonio Davis. Weirdly enough, kind of a equal trade. No, that's not true. At the time, yeah. When you look at it, when you look at it in a vacuum. And you do a little revisionist history. The Bulls got what they needed out of Jalen Rose. He was a 20-point scorer. I met him at Wrigley when he threw out the first pitch. He was a really nice guy. Uh, he was cool. He was cool to have as a Bulls player. Like I remember being really excited about him, despite the fact that we yeah. sucked so hard. And the thing um, is, too. Here's then, the thing. Here's the, the thing. Bulls, that trade, like, what did that trade do for the Bulls? Like, I think there's a lot of people jack shit. from from Chicago that that, a terrible that lament. Trade the loss of Ron Artest. But, like, dude, Ron Artest was never going to get you guys over a hump that Jalen Rose couldn't have gotten you over, to tell you the truth. I mean, that's just... And, yeah, and, but here's, Ron Artest here's the was difference, a, was a phenomenal... He was a great player when he was young, and he was, a, he was a good player towards the end of his career, too. But, I mean, he wasn't... The the way that those Bulls teams at that this time were managed, like, you know, Elton Brand, ship him out. Like, you know, get Eddie Curry, get Tyson Chandler, like all that shit that they were doing. Like none of their moves made any sense. And Ron Artest was certainly not going to be the solution to any of those problems. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think at the time though, we were in like, so the, I was listening, I've been listening to the redraftables as many of the listeners probably already heard me say it at nauseum at this point, but like the bulls had an opportunity to rebuild and like, we're stockpiling assets and good players and just fucked it, it up. Like, hard like they they drafted elton brand they drafted jamal crawford they drafted ron artest brad miller everyone who except for jamal crawford has been an all-star and has many of which had very productive seasons as bulls just multiple not once or uh six man of the year six yeah i mean i'm not i'm not it's and i i should say i'm not terribly (laughs) shocked i would i i just wouldn't have been shocked if he had an an all star game appearance under his belt, yeah, you know what one. I mean. Like he's the kind of guy who's like, oh yeah, he, you know, one year when when he averaged twenty two points a game off the bench, he got in. Um, yeah. Hey, no, I mean he was the I, NBA. No, the he was they, the NBA teammate of the year in two thousand eighteen. There you go. I mean, and that lot. says a lot. Okay. Everybody loves Jamal Crawford, I, but here's the thing: Ron Artest and Brad Miller go to Indiana and both make All Star teams while they're over there. Jalen Rose leaves yeah. after two seasons. Okay, that's that's we lost that's that valid. trade. That's, not even that's close. valid. Um, let's that, go that, I mean, to that, the a, yeah. Make I, I I get it. 
I'm gonna go over to the League Awards and all this stuff now. We're gonna shift over here. First off, for League Awards MVP of the 2001-2002 season, Tim Duncan. Uh, as we already t- we I discussed thought we already that knew that. Little, no, we discussed that a little bit. Yeah, it, ah, yeah we had I had mentioned it. it. Um, rookie of the year this season, Paul Gasol. Uh, he had a very good season. Uh, I gotta, I, I gotta do this. I hate to do this because we've been giving Jay shit for Dikembe, uh, but it's it's Pow. Oh, it's Pow. It's not. It's not, it's not like it's not Paul without the L. But that's it's. This is Pow. this is uh, <laughs> this is how everybody does this. Like I see, I see the broadcasters on on fucking TV do this. So you're yeah. not alone, Nikki. And I, I'm sorry. I didn't want you to think I was being a jerk, but I just it's had to okay. Do it. I understand. Can we just? I just want to really quickly go through. Uh, Tim Duncan's MVP numbers from that year. He averaged 26, 2.9 blocks, 13 rebounds, and four assists, um, all while shooting a grand total of 50% from the field. And those are just like regularly, like that was just regular scheduled programming for Mr. Tim Duncan during that period. Well, yeah, I mean, he the was big fundamental. Incredible. Man. Yeah. And Pau Gasol, that rookie season, like, you're talking about a guy, like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that he wasn't drafted number one overall yeah, that's crazy. in that draft. Like, the Bill Simmons just did the redraftables for the 2001 draft, and, like, that was the first year where, like, the high schoolers just went, like, crazy. Three out Eddie of the Curry, top four Wilson, picks were high school uh, kids. Tyson Chandler, uh, Kwame Brown. It was, it was too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, this year. And then Pau Gasol yeah. sitting also, three like, with uh, averaging, like, also weird game. to think too that like even in 2001 teams were drafting centers with their uh with their like high picks yeah and like we, we we were still we were still sort of stuck in that like the big the big man <laughs> so era. much so that the bulls wanted yeah. two yeah. so much so that the bulls wanted two you it's fucking like, idiots like, it's like, for fucking Elton Brand <laughs> who took the clippers to the fucking western conference finals you stupid fucks it's, you stupid Stupid fuck is is taking those two like that the equivalent to taking Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio back to back? It right before taking <laughs> Steph. Yes, Curry. it's yes. exactly that. It's exactly that because Tyson Chandler ended up having a decent career overall, but it still wasn't better than Elton Brand and Eddie Curry. Not all his fault, but definitely some his fault was only good for one season with the Bulls, but was like had a heart problem and also was lazy as all fucking hell but he was a local kid yeah yeah i read a so, i read a thing by I him in the players tribune and i love the players tribune but i do think like it, it gives players kind of an opportunity to like whitewash themselves a little bit you know like to to make yeah. it mm-hmm. like you know like but yeah palatable to a larger like audience he, well no what i mean though is like it's like oh like you know i uh like I I wasn't uh, you know uh, like I I I I wasn't lazy. Everybody just thought I was, and it's like no man, you you were though. Because like I read his I read his thing. Um, I read his like article about that in the the Players Tribune, and I was like, there's probably a decent amount of truth to this, but there's also probably a decent amount of you like trying to like kind of cover your your own ass. But you know, I I digress. Also, um. I was just looking at my Facebook page real quick, and uh, on my results is suggested for you, Orlando Magic, and it's a post from a thing called Basketball Network that says, how the Orlando Magic ruined their franchise in the mid-90s. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right, guys, next, next one we have, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Ben Wallace. 
his stats for that season. It was first his first one, right? one. He had 13 rebounds a game, uh, averaged 1.7 steals and three and a half blocks. I'm going to wait till next podcast to the, well, not next podcast. Yeah. Two podcasts from now to get into the Ben the Wallace, ben Wallace conversation. Yeah. It's the it's the start of Ben Wallace's like real flourishing career. He didn't get an all star this year. The, the next season he will. Uh, most improved player, Jermaine yeah. O'Neal. Really good for yeah. those Pacers teams for a long time. He, for a so really long this time. Was, that that season he was an all star, averaging nineteen points. Uh, he averaged ten and a half rebounds, one point six assists. Not he was one all. of my favorite players players of this time. Like I think a lot of guys liked so him. He had, he had the headband and the cornrows and like he was just a cool player and he was really good. Got uh, a good right hook. Yeah, he was he was a guy that a lot of I, I really liked him like in the <laughs> early two thousands. I think one of my favorite memories is like circa like two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. Uh he was still playing he had put on uh, what appeared to be a considerable amount of weight. Uh, Ad had, as had such contemporaries as Boris Dia and Vince Carter. And I remember debating with my brother which <laughs> fat player we liked more. Whether we liked, <laughs> like, I was I was a big fan of Fat Boris Dia. Fat Boris Dia. Fat Boris Dia was great. Was great. Was great. Um, that's a, oh, that's man. a conversation I, for another yeah. time, but. <laughs> Yeah, I have. A, I was gonna say too. I have a lot to say about those mid two thousands or early two thousands Pacers teams, but we'll wait until the episodes where their storyline becomes exactly. more prevalent. Um, six, six, six man of the year, Corliss Williamson. Yeah, really? He Who was, was he with at, at that, that point? Two thousand one, two thousand two, Detroit. Uh, yeah, he, he was had, still with Detroit, yeah. and then he went to the he went to the Kings a couple seasons later. Uh, no, no, it was the opposite. He was with the Kings, and then he right? got traded to yes. Detroit. You and are right. Goes, and you then are he right. goes to well, then he goes to Philly and back to Sacramento. So, but he yeah. he's averaging uh, what was it in this season? He's averaging thirteen point six points, four point one rebounds, one point two assists. Nothing. Yeah, I mean he was solid for those Kings teams. He just wasn't. Yeah. He just wasn't the guy. Uh, but what a segue! What a segue! Because guys, I want to wrap up today's podcast by talking about. One of the most memorable series in NBA history, the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings. Now, Nikki and I had a little bit of a watch session the other day and got a chance to watch game one and game four of this seven-game series. Um, So we have some things to say, but Tad, take us back to 2002. What was little Tad thinking at this time? Or what does big Tad think now? about that series when he remembers back Funny to thing it. is little little tad at that time was a short little fat kid who liked playing basketball now now i'm just a taller sort of overweight guy <laughs> I, i'm just i'm putting on all i'm putting back on all the weight that i lost and I, I gotta i gotta get my shit uh in gear lauren lauren ordered us a exercise bike today that will be here <laughs> next week so nice. pretty excited about that nice. I just got to stop eating so much and being such a lazy piece of shit. But it's hard in the quarantine. It's hard out here for <laughs> a fat guy really in is. the quarantine. That's, a, that's really a, a new song that I'm writing that will be performed by 3-6 Mafia. <laughs> it's a spiritual sequel to It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. Anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're way off topic. Uh, yeah, man, when I was that age, uh, I, I wore number four for my basketball jersey, and I had a pair of the freshest white, Sea web dadas you could possibly <laughs> ever own. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, of course you did. Dude, I l- really, truly, truly. T Mac got me into basketball 
But the Kings, those early 2000s Kings teams were really what, like, made me stay. Um, just like Doug Christie, yeah. Mike Bibby, uh, fucking Vlade Divac, you know, Chris Webber, obviously. Chris Webber was my favorite player. I liked him more than T-Mac, and I loved I remember T-Mac. you saying that. Chris Webber is and, and has been one of my favorite players uh, ever. I, I loved him. Uh, you know, Lawrence Funderburg, Bobby Jackson. Like, I know this isn't all from the same year, but like Jason Williams, like just player after player. Pedro Stoyakovich. I loved that guy. Dude, I'd fucking fire up NBA oh, yeah. Live 02 and just fucking rain threes with that guy. Uh, and I remember this year being like, this is the year, this Kings team, they're going to win a championship. I have games at home on blank, like, unlabeled VHS tapes and it's just games that I recorded from this season as a kid because they always played on the West Coast and I was too young to stay up to watch the games. I had a bedtime. Your boy had a bedtime. His mom was like, "Uh uh-uh, you quarantined (laughs) to your bedroom. So I had to go to, you know, but like that series was so back and forth and now knowing what we know about it being ultimately rigged by the officials and, and Tim Donahue and that sort of thing. It's so disappointing because that team should have won a, won a championship. That team, if there was ever yeah. a team to like truly <clears throat> challenge that those Lakers dominance, like that team was perfectly constructed to do so. You had Divac sort of at the end of his career, but could still match up with Shaq. You had Chris Webber who nobody could guard. You had a phenomenal backcourt with Christie and Jason Williams and and Mike Bibby. Like just like arguably the most fun team I have ever watched in my life. So I asked Nikki this the other day and I'd be interested to know your answer on this. So Rank these three most disappointing teams having not won a championship. The OKC, Russ, James Harden, Thunder, the Shaq, Penny, Magic, or the 2002 uh, Sacramento Kings. Rank them in order from one to three. Wait, hold on. Go go back. Just the Thunder that, that lost the Heat, right? The Kings. And who was the other one? Yep. I missed that. 90, like the early, ni- like the early 90s uh, Magic with Shaq and Penny. Um, I'm going to say Orlando, Sacramento, Oklahoma city. And I'll tell you why. And Nikki, what were yours again? Go ahead. Oh, mine was, um, Oklahoma city, Orlando, and then the Kings. I truly, I truly think that the OKC one's the most like egregious. I have them as my number two. I think, I think the magic are third on my list actually, which is interesting that we all have three completely. Let me tell you why. That Orlando team was so fucking loaded, and you had Prime Shaq, and you had Prime Penny before all the injuries. Like, those teams, that team was unbelievable. That, I mean, that team, like, if if they hadn't, you know, gotten rid of Shaq, I, I can, I'm going to say this, and this is probably outlandish, and I do not care, but if that team, if they hadn't fucked around and lowballed Shaq and kept him in Orlando, and they'd have kept that core intact, there's a chance that Jordan doesn't have the second three-peat. Now... We could also say if my aunt, if my aunt had a penis, she'd be my uncle because this didn't happen. So I mean, we're not <laughs> going to talk about you know what if scenarios. I'm just making my point. Now, it's the only one what if scenario I ever wanted to talk about. That so, one right there. <laughs> now I want to meet your aunt. I said if she had one, she doesn't. 
far as I'm concerned. I don't, actually, I don't know. So, you know. <laughs> um, but then the Kings teams, I loved those Kings teams so much. And they were so good. And they were the perfect foil to those Lakers teams. That Those Kings teams were like almost like a cornerstone of like what modern basketball is. You know, like Chris Chris Webber oh, yeah. was a was a uh, was a guy who shot from eighteen feet. He didn't always play back to the basket. You know, he was a guy that would face you up from fifteen and then take you off the dribble. Um, he was a very similar. Like I, I always say that Lamarcus Aldridge was the next step in evolution of Chris Webber. I told Jay um, when we were watching it. Um, yeah. I feel like the Kings of this two thousand two season feels like the current iteration of the Raptors. Where Chris Weber would be Pascal Siakam and um, uh, Mike Bibby would be would be Kyle Lowry. Yeah, and you have like Vladi Divac because like they're yeah. Marcus Sol. Like you've you've got some interesting pieces there. Kind of racist. Christie's, you just, like they're you just like OG them to one another because they're both foreign white guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. See what kind of podcast I'm on. I I um, I, but you are. Then, <laughs> then like Oklahoma City, I just put last because I just don't think that team was ready for prime time. They just weren't quite there yet. They were still. So I understand that. Um, those games were when Nikki and I watched rewatched these games the other day. Um, we brought this up a little earlier when we were talking about Jason Kidd, but like, so many missed three. Oh, so many. Like, From not just everybody. missed. Not just missed. Who wide open three pointers missed. On the regular, from yeah. everybody, from like guys who are like, oh, Derek Fisher's open, oh, uh, okay, clink, oh, Kobe's open, clink, oh, Doug Chrissy, oh, Robert clink. Ory, oh, oh pa- no, uh, no, no, no. hey, Hito, Dude, oh, Paige didn't miss, bro. yeah, no, but Paige also didn't play hurt. in that series, so, um, that is correct, yeah, that really sucked. Uh, Doug Christie, I always remembered as being like, um, like a, a sharpshooter, and I was just looking him up the other day. I'm gonna pull it back up here. I always remembered him just him and Mike Bibby being like lights out from three, but like they they really they really weren't. Uh, no, they were they, not. They, they probably were shot not. like I would say relative to to what we knew as basketball at that point, they were like they have burners. But now you're just like wow. Like yeah, this, you this, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't let this cat take four shots in a game for me now. You know, no, no. there's no <laughs> way. No way. Also, f- like, Peja is the only guy on that team that gets a green light. Fun fact, uh, Chris Christie, or Chris Christie, <laughs> former governor <laughs> of New Jersey. <laughs> uh, Doug, uh, Doug, oh Doug Christie and his wife uh, are, like, really open about, like, their, their like, sexual uh, relationship. And, like, they do, like, they write, they have books about it and, like, all this stuff. It's very fascinating. Actually, Doug Christie was... That year he shot thirty five percent, and the following year he shot forty percent from three. So maybe better than I, I give him Solid. credit for. But like he has not terrible. He has like some good seasons and some like cre- he was a career thirty five percent three point shooter. So you know better than you'd think. But he was also not he bad. was also my not god, bad. dude, forty two percent shooter from the floor. Like, <laughs> why are all these guys so inefficient? Like, why was basketball <laughs> in two thousand two? It's the mid range, dude. It's well, the mid range. It's the mid range we jumpers. At one point. So the ball's kicked out to Bobby Jackson. He pump fakes it. I think it was Kobe who 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 bites for it and comes flying past him. He steps to the right. In t- today's NBA, he knocks down that open three. Not in this game. He steps up 
to shoot a fucking eighteen footer. <laughs> like he takes a dribble I, in and it goes in, but it fucking hits the it hits the rim like two or three times before it went in. And it, it just was just like bonk 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 and then in. I was just like, oh my I, god, like you guys cannot shoot. I remember, like, just as, like, a kid and, like, a middle schooler and all that shit, like, just always being taught, like, oh, yeah, like, dribble, you know, take that one dribble in, you know, get a little closer, a higher yeah. percentage shot. And it's like, what a step load of horse shit it. that was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd always be told, like, step into it, dribble in yeah, one dude. more. And I'm just like, but uh, the three's worth more. Oh, those mid-range, man. It's, it's It was tough to watch. But I will say this, that Kings team, the most fun part about that team was as far as like ball movement was concerned, those fucking guys could yeah. pass, man. And the ball movement was so fluid. Like you had they I was talking to Nikki when we were watching the game, like, what a luxury to have a guy like Vlade and Chris Weber who were like top, top tier in terms of big man ball like playmaking capabilities. Like both of them were like top passers, top playmakers during that time and really of yeah. all time in terms of like playmaking big men. Like both of them at the top of their games. Hito as like a six nine small forward who could like stretch the floor and also could like play make. I have a hot take. I think Mike Bibby was the best player on that team during that playoff run. I really do. So I think like consistent wise, yeah. like I think he was the best he player was, on that team throughout the entirety of the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, which is crazy. Like, like that was like too like also like the pinnacle of Mike Bibby's career was like he had like two or three good yeah. seasons. Um, and that, uh, like what's, what's crazy to think about too, is that like they, the Kings were first in point or, or second in points per game that year. They were, uh, first in, uh, in pace. They were third in offensive rating and they were, um, they were sixth in defensive rating. Like that team was actually super, super, super good. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible team incredible and that's what makes this series so heartbreaking like namely game four so for the listeners i mean tad do you remember where you were for game four because i remember and i told nikki funny fact you and i were probably in the same state when this game was happening because i was in iowa during a baseball tournament with my team and we all crowded up in a hotel room uh that day after we had played a game uh, a days full of baseball games at the ripe old age of 13 and uh, we watched that game together as a group. And my coach, Dave, David Ayakulo, RIP, watched it in his room as a group. And uh, we all lost our minds after that Robert Ori shot. Um, and Nikki yeah. was in that room as well. <laughs> now that I think about it. That was a fun day. Uh, well, I, 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 know, I, know, <sighs> I know where I was. I was in the basement of my parents' house uh, watching the game on a like old CRT TV. Uh, given yeah. that it was in 2002, <laughs> uh, my friend Alan was over, and we watched it together. So, yes, I, I do recall. There you go. Uh, for the listeners who don't remember, the Sacramento Kings go up big in the first quarter, um, 40-26 to 26 at the end of the first quarter, with a massive lead. The largest lead of the game is 23 points, but the Lakers have a massively successful third quarter, and the Kings cannot buy a shot in the third quarter, scoring only 15 points, if I remember correctly. Um, the Lakers then cut it down to two um, towards the end of the game. Kobe drives to the basket, misses his shot. Everybody's going for the rebound. Shaq grabs the rebound, puts it up, misses his shot. Vladi Divac makes the right play, by the way. 
makes the right play and tips the basketball away from the basket with just about a second left in the game. Unfortunately, Mr. Big Shot Bob was standing at the top of the key, grabs the ball, and knocks down a three-pointer with like one second left, and the Lakers win by one. Do you ever think about between, between that shot... And the the Derek Fisher prayer against the Spurs. Like what? Point four seconds or something. Point like four seconds left. It, that those two shots changed the entire out like landscape of of NBA basketball. Yeah. If 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 yeah, uh, the, I, if Robert Ory doesn't hit that shot, the Kings win that series. I guarantee it. And. Oh no 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 no! I agree with that. I'm. I don't know that I feel the same about the Derek I mean, Fisher shot though. So the Derek lucky. Fisher shot they, that they they went to the finals and won. Again. No, Derek Fisher was playing with the Jazz at that no. point. No, no, dude. No, 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 no. No, he hit a a shot in the playoffs against the Spurs with 0.4 seconds left that effectively that took the Lakers to the play to the finals. And or like that might have forced the game seven, which they won. It, it, I, it, either way. And if if those things don't happen, the Lakers have two less championships, and we may not we we might not remember Kobe and those Lakers teams like we we do. Yeah, I uh, I can't disagree with that. I think the Robert Ory one is the biggest one because to Tad's point, at that point, sorry, the they did not they did not win the Kings. finals that year that Derek Fisher hit that shot. That was the year they got beat by the Pistons. But the point still stands. Yeah, that's the 0405 or 04 season, yeah. Oh, 04 yeah. yeah. Okay, I see this. I I'm not gonna lie. Oh, I forgot I'll about this. I remember that one. That one was a wild one. I I completely forgot about this. I blocked this out of my memory. Chucks up a prayer and it goes straight in. Chucks it. He chucks it. He chucks it. There's literally like, I like, will admit though cuz we watched the game, Robert Ory, that was a smooth shot. It wasn't a chuck. It oh was like yeah, a, he stepped. He legit, stepped into it. It's uh, it's pure. He was yeah, ready no, for it. No, it was a good shot. Like, oh, thank you. That was a fucking practice shot for him. Like he's used to that shot. Oh, you know what? I do remember this, but I remember it more for the Tim Duncan off like off balance shot. I do remember that too. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's reasonable. But yeah, I remember this now. The. This game, this series went to seven games, right? And then the game after this is when the Nets play. The series after this is Nets versus Lakers, and the fucking Lakers just sweep them. The- yeah. Well, so what's interesting is like, so this game, game four was the game that everybody remembers from this series yeah. because of the shot. So this game actually ties the series at 2 2. The. <laughs> the fucking Kings end up going on to win the next game, and then the Lakers have to win back to back games to win this series and this is where the Tim Donahue stuff comes into play and the NBA had its fingers in the outcome of this series and there's a lot of there's a lot of documentation and breakdown of that um it's pretty hard to argue at this point um and really incredibly disappointing but fuck I love this 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 Kings team real quick game six of this series Shaquille O'Neal scored 41 points and had 17 rebounds in game six 41 points 17 rebounds from Shaq that's outrageous. Yeah, he. There was nobody that could stop him though. Like, I mean, Vladi had a couple, couple good games against him, but like, dude, you watch him against Tom McCullough in the finals, and like, look, no shot at Tom McCullough. Tom McCullough was a was a passable NBA player. Like, not great, but he was fine as an NBA player. Um, but like, 
I just you just you just you have no chance against this guy. He's the most dominant player. No, in NBA dude, it history. was it was like it was like watching like honestly, it was like watching Tyson fight like you know yes. like like white like old white dudes. You know what I mean? That so but that is like that is like the perfect comparison though because Tyson is like a lot of people give him shit for the quality of people that he fought because when he finally started fighting guys that were like of a high quality like Lennox Lewis and like Evander Holyfield he started getting his ass whooped like but for a while there when he was defending his title he was incredibly dominant but there, a lot of people argue that the quality of heavyweights that he was competing against were like Todd McCullough yeah. basically well Shaq had a, was against Chris Webber and Vlade Divac in this series, and he averaged thirty point three points, thirteen point six rebounds, two point four blocks. He's so fucking good, man. And then so real quick, good. this is what um, he averaged because Shaq wins the Finals MVP. This is what he averaged in the Finals: thirty six point three, twelve point three, and three point eight. Dominance. I mean. What else do you need, man? The guy was dominant. The team was dominant. We don't really need to talk about the finals unless you guys really I want to, care. but it was a sweep. It was a clean sweep. That Nets team was fucking undermanned uh, and really not that good in retrospect. But the 2002 season, man, I'll forever I'll forever remember it for that Kings team, man. That Kings yeah, team was just the, like burning in my memory. Like, it's one of my, one it's, of my it's favorite one of the, teams. the most entertaining, uh, like most entertaining teams of, of all time. Yep. I mean, that that was yeah, that, that is one of the well, listen, that is a top a top team in NBA history. I, I'd probably put them... For single season teams, somewhere somewhere near in yeah. in or near the top ten. I yeah. agree. I think top ten regular season team of all time. I yeah, I can give them that. No question. Uh, um so we've been going for almost an hour and forty minutes, so I think we should probably wait before wrap we end this. Thing up. I gotta ask the last thing. Robert Ori, Hall of Famer. One Robert Ori, Hall of Famer. Oh man! So Nikki and I were talking about this the other day because he does have he has seven, seven rings, rings, and like I don't. Did he win a? Did he win any like major awards? No. I don't think he no. did. No, he 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 ever. No he was uh, he was all rookie team. I'm just trying to. Pull and he up was a, he was a he was like, a pretty good, uh, college player, but not not great. Oh man, he's a tough one. No major awards, no All NBAs. My answer is uh, my answer like, is no, man. Be, because yeah, the, I think he's the titles very alone, good. the titles alone, are not enough. Yeah, I kind of asked this I'm question. Just as a see, joke. Like, I mean, his best season in the NBA, he averaged twelve points a game. Yeah, his according to Basketball Reference, his Hall of Fame probability is three point eight. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. It's there's no chance. He's got seven. He's got here's here's the thing though. There are guys like Nikki and I were talking about this the other day. John Sally has like five championship yeah. rings. Well, he's now. This is what I had said. He was only a major contributor on two of those teams. Robert Ory was a major contributor on every single I don't, team. Again, I'm gonna say this real quick. I don't think Robert Ory would ever make it to the Hall of Fame, but I think he is like the ultimate role player. If you needed that guy who just could get you minutes, like even when it and like good minutes, even like you know in the heart of the playoffs, Robert Ory was capable of doing that for you. And I think that's. I think had Robert Ory had like an Andre Iguodala type playoff series where he ends up winning the MVP of the finals, now we're having a different conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I, mean, I don't think, I don't think, think Andre Iguodala should be in. I don't think Andre Iguodala should be a Hall of Famer. But that's a conversation. Andre Iguodala is going to make the Hall of Fame for another time. So anyway, make the Hall of Fame. All right. Well, uh, if we don't have anything else, guys, let's uh, let's let's plug and let's, uh, let's follow get me on here. Twitter at Tad Hall underscore. Follow me on Instagram at Nikki Palooza. 
And you can follow me at uh, J underscore Gila's on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow NBA at NBA Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please don't forget to give the podcast a five-star rating and review. We greatly appreciate it. We're putting a lot of decent amount of work into these. Nikki's putting in the most work, I think, at this point. Um, those, those, uh, <laughs> those intros to each season are chef's kiss so um yeah make sure and give the podcast a five-star rating review check us out on instagram we put out a lot more content there per usual all right well for tad for nikki for jay this has been nba we're out Bye.